Welcome to the Daily Combat Podcast. The Daily Combat Podcast is brought to you as always by Olympic hopeful turned boxer and all-round sporting polymath Isabella Rossitano, arm wrestling influencer Hollywood Matt Connolly, and combat sports ring announcer Dave Stockbridge. So join Izzy, Dave, and Matt as we talk about the world of combat sports on this episode of the Daily Combat Podcast. But yeah, so I took a photo with Phil Baroni, and uh, when um, they uh, took the photo, he, he, he took a step forwards and then stood, stood on his tippy toes <laughs> and put his fist like close to the camera. It's like trying to out angle me. Like, <laughs> mate, I don't care. Like, I'm happy to meet you. Like, this is cool. I it did, mattered um, to him. I did yeah. a film with uh, Josh Thompson. Oh, okay. Yeah, former UFC fighter. And he, he I think, I believe he's yeah. friends with Phil. Yeah. Oh, is he? I think so. Okay, cool. It was, yeah. Phil, Phil had massive potential and heavy hands, a heavy striker, and then great wrestling. It just, it all fell apart for him. He lost a couple and then that was it. He just yeah. sort of... He was a bit of a brawler. Had a big heart though. Yeah. You've got to give him that because there was those fights, some of those last ones that he did lose. Yeah. God, he showed a lot of heart though, didn't yeah. he? Yeah, yeah. I mean... He, 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 was, he got beaten by Evan Tanner. Evan Tanner. Remember that? Evan yeah. Tanner. Controversially. Yeah. 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 At one point it looked like... Evan was done. Yeah. Oh, but, yeah. But somehow he came back and got the win. But that was, that was a big sad story as well with Evan Tanner. Oh, uh, yeah. Do you know about that? No. Uh, Evan Tanner was a middleweight champion for the UFC. Yeah. And uh, a bit of a strange guy, like, you know, into a lot of alternative stuff. And he ended up, he went out into the desert by himself with, like, you know, half a day's worth of water or something. Just I would just go out for a trip into the desert. Fucking died. <laughs> Fucking yeah, died. He, he was... Um, <laughs> From all accounts, he was an amazing guy, really good guy, uh, real adventurer, a bit of a loner, mm. and he would do these um, these motorbike rides across the states. Yeah, and he went to um, it was a desert area mm. that he went to, and, and it, he must have run out of petrol. Yeah, I, I believe he ran out of petrol, and then it's a Joshua Tree or something around. Something, yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. Devils, I think there's a. I can't yeah. remember the name, but I had a name of the the canyon or whatever he was in, and um, yeah, because it was like you know, from former middleweight champion. Um, so Tito was the actual one who, who beat him um, for the title. That's um, right. Yep. The slam, which he, yeah. he, he picked out a, a hard spot on the floor before the match and went, this is where I'm going to do it. And he <laughs> walked him over and slammed yeah. and knocked him out. And I think Evan, Evan was undefeated until that yeah. point. Yeah. And, and with Evan, what was interesting was he taught himself through videos. <laughs> Became a great fighter, but his initial, all his initial training, he, had, he didn't, wasn't going to training camps yeah. or schools or anything. He was training by video with mates. Yeah. Mm, he, that, became, he became a champion. Yeah, that's it. I mean, at that time, because the sport was so new and so underground, and it was like, well, oh, I want to do this thing. How do I do it? And it's like, well, there's no school around. Like, no one's doing this. This yeah. is a, you know, an interest that, that you've got yourself. You can do a certain discipline, like if you yeah. want to do you know, a kung fu or if you want to do jiu-jitsu or you want to do those individual things. But to do the whole thing together, like the mixed martial arts aspect, no, no, there's none of that. It's yeah. like you're going to have to figure it out. So you had such specialists, you know, that were coming in. And even up till maybe UFC 50-ish, it was like this is a wrestler. This is a kickboxer, you know, yeah. and they had a little bit of the other stuff. Mm. But it was like, you know, people came from a one, one-off one thing. And then, you know, Gracie's had their videotapes and people would learn jiu-jitsu from it. 
um, or they would have, you know, the wrestling, the amateur wrestling guys would, would come in, they would learn enough jujitsu to not mm. get submitted, and then, mm. you know, like Mark Coleman and the juice that sheer size and strength to overpower people, but then they would lose to kickboxers that learnt enough wrestling to keep the fight, you know, standing. Mm. So you're seeing this progression, and then eventually the sort of the schools started to come around and you had Randy Couture that started a couple and um, it was that progression of this sport which was freaking amazing to see in such a short, short period of time to think, you know, you've gone from the sport not exist, well, <laughs> existed Pancras and all the rest of it in terms of, you know, you had you had that element but in terms of being a commercial thing that a lot of people were really keen on doing, it was like, oh, you want to do mixed martial arts? People are like, what is that? I don't even know what that is. It's like a mm. cage fighting. Oh, yeah, I don't know what that is either. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And so it was like, if you wanted to, a school, if you wanted to learn, you're probably going to do it through videotape, like what mm. Evan Tanner did. Yeah. And yeah, Amazing. And then the, what I used to like was in the early days, the, the styles, you know, and then you'd have, you'd have you know, so-and-so is a kickboxer, this guy does jiu-jitsu, uh, Tank Abbott, pit fighter, pit fighter. <laughs> Beer drinker. <laughs> pit fighter. <laughs> he was strong, man. Like, have you seen any of his training video stuff? Like, uh, Yeah, I saw him bench press 500 yeah, pounds or yeah. something, and he was... Mm. Yeah, he's throwing, throwing, like, the, the 50 kilo dumbbells around for bicep curls, like, you know, strong, fat, like, fat ass. <laughs> <laughs> I think there was always a bit of an affinity for Tank Abbott because he, he seemed to resemble people we might have seen growing up yeah. you know, around mm. our suburbs your, yeah, your, your yeah. tough dad that you know, <laughs> you'd get off the bar stool and go and knock out the idiot around the corner yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's funny because after he sort of retired uh, he got dentures and um, whenever he would do an interview his dentures would slip down in his mouth uh, all the time really you've watched a lot of interviews oh, yeah. haven't you oh mate I was obsessed <laughs> you, might, you might have watched more than me I think. yeah maybe yeah well, you were doing this stuff I was, I was watching um, but yeah he would talk in his mouth and then you'd see him going like this to get it back in position like that does it yeah but yeah that whole world I mean yeah when you were talking about the Asian uh industry of, of film and martial arts it was like man i was watching all of that stuff and then you were there doing it it's yeah. just like wow it's how, crazy. how do you think i felt working on uh, triple threat oh crazy so, you know there i'm on set with um tony jar <laughs> Iko uas we got michael Jai white we got scott adkins michael Fuck. bisbing oh yeah that's away with michael bisbing who uh, his podcast is great, by the yeah, way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Believe you me. Mm. Yeah, it's very good. Mm. Which very, very good. Called it "Believe You Me" because no one knows what that actually means. <laughs> Believe you me. Yeah, <laughs> Believe you me, mate. Uh, what's that mean? I don't know, but I've been saying it for years. And I'm going to keep saying it. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a lot of colloquialisms like that in Australia, haven't we? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Bob's your uncle. Bob's your uncle. <laughs> Bob's your uncle. <laughs> is he? Who, what? Who's Bob? What? <laughs> How does that mean anything? <laughs> I saw a funny meme the other day. He said, "What?" Well, Nothing says Australia more than telling flies to fuck off and expecting them to understand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How long have we been doing that? Oh, that's fantastic. Since the day we popped out. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, just on that with, um, I saw a comedian who was saying that, you know, a lot of people see Australians as really laid back. He goes, I don't see it that way at all. He goes, you know, if, you, if you're an Australian and you're sitting at a red light, you're about 10 seconds away from it. <laughs> oh, fuck it, come on! Oh, yeah. <laughs> Why do you think road rage was invented? <laughs> exactly, because you don't get stopped that that often compared to other countries. I guess it's like fuck it, come on, ten seconds, ten seconds all it takes. Highly, highly strong. That's right. Just exactly, yeah, for sure. Waiting for an excuse. What was it like living in in uh, Shanghai and then Hong Kong? You know, considering 
the language barriers. Mm. Say in Shanghai, for example, um, quite a language barrier where I was staying at that time. But yeah, it's amazing how you can adapt. That's what I learned with all my travels. It's amazing how you can adapt to different environments. Um, and you know, and and when I was doing a lot of that early traveling, there was no. Uh, yeah, we did have email. That's how you'd connect with people back home. Email. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't an instant phone, video calls, stuff like that. That's yeah. made it all even so much easier. Yeah. But yeah, it's amazing what you can adapt to. And you know, you pick up words, you learn little things, you find out what's the what's the phrases that you need to know. What's what's the first thing I need to know? I need to know how to say this. Well, when I lived in I lived in China for a year, so in Guangzhou. So um, a friend of mine who I met there told me a good phrase to learn is what is that? Ah. And you can learn anything. You know, yeah. what is that? What is that? What is that? So that way you can learn words um, and things go from there. But it's amazing how you can adapt, and it, it's amazing the 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 abilities we have that we don't realize until you're actually pushed to in, into a place where you have to draw deep and you know tap into those things yeah mm. yeah um so yeah. You, you speak is it cantonese in, in hong kong and, they, and yeah they do i don't right <laughs> <laughs> to get by. I, I speak enough to survive <laughs> enough to order the food i like enough to get by same as in mandarin in china yeah and um you know i lived in thailand for a little while as i said oh, yeah. Um, but they're all they're all great places to live. Great people. I met met wonderful people in all these places. That's what sticks out to me the most. It's the people. Um, Hong Kong met fantastic people. I've, I've got great friends who still live in Hong Kong to this day. Mm-hmm. And um, Hong Kong's very busy, as you know, very compact. You know, you live in little apartments. A lot of people do anyway. Hotels are quite small, um, but it's just oh, it's nonstop. Go go go! Energy unlimited potential anything can happen at any moment you don't know who you're going to meet um just a fantastic city so growing up watching those uh movies um those hong kong um asian action films when you lived there or, or, or perhaps before you got there was your feeling that more people should be into martial arts in asia than they actually are did you did you expect that everybody would just be into it <laughs> Probably more so when I lived in China. In China, okay. I, I was surprised in China that, that, that it wasn't really as much of a popular thing as I imagined it would have been. Yeah. Um, it seemed, when I was in Guangzhou, it seemed that um, people there were more interested in Western things like boxing, kickboxing, mm. and even Taekwondo. Right. Um, more so than the traditional Kung Fu. I think that the Kung Fu was considered just not as popular as what it had been. Now, things might have changed now with the Ip Man films and all that, mm-hmm. with, um, those films that came out, but... But yeah, I think it. I think it's like it's like us. We're interested in things that are from, a little from, bit exotic, yeah, a little bit, bit exotic, far away, and they're yeah. in many ways the same. Mm. Um, now, Thailand's different, of course, because Muay Thai is a huge part of the Thai culture. Yeah, and um, you know, everywhere you go, there's there's either a fight happening, uh, you know, a ring fight, or you know, there's guys in a restaurant watching it on the TV, you know, shouting, getting right into it. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. It's really awesome. That part of the Thai culture is fantastic, um, and then yeah, I've been to other places like uh, Vietnam. I did get actually surprisingly Vietnam. I've been quite a few times in recent years, and I did see a lot of martial arts being practiced. There are Vietnamese martial arts, and you, you just meet interesting characters as well in all these places. Martial artists who have studied in all these different countries, and both Western um, Westerners and also you know locals. Just yeah, but but yeah, certainly there wasn't the amount of interest in China as I thought there was. Yeah. yeah. At that time, mm, it's interesting. The, the first thing you went for was the Jeet Kune Do, which mm. was, you know, obviously Bruce Lee um, was so intelligent with the way that he he sort of his 
style was like, well, I need to amalgamate these uh, martial arts and find the things that actually work and that's the things I'm going to teach and because there's so much sort of, you know, mystical this and traditional stuff that, that is kind of not useless but like, you know, if you're going to be in, in a combat situation or a physical fight that is, un, you know, if you're meeting somebody on the street and you're now in a fight, it's like, well, these elements do work and these are the things I'm going to be focusing on. Um, the Jeet Kune Do translates into as the art of, the art of uh, it's like flowing like water or something. The um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember what it is. It's, it's either the art of fighting or something, but the idea being that you can you can adapt to every situation because you prepared for everything. So, you know, if you've only done karate or something and you get taken to the ground, all of your karate is now gone. <laughs> you know, you, you mean, sure, you can you might be able to land some little punches and, and elbows off your back or something, but yeah. if you don't know what you're doing and somebody does and you are on your back and they are on top of you and you can't get... <laughs> you know so there was a lot of those elements that bruce sort of created where it was like i need to learn wrestling i need to learn some jujitsu i need to learn not only my striking from kung fu mm. but i need to add these other elements in as well and when you see movies like into the dragon um he's doing arm bars he's doing like you know positional movements which you see in in uh modern mma now where it's like you know, this has been around for a long time. It's just that people weren't exposed to that because they maybe went down taekwondo route, which is, you know, a lot of the sort of kicking and a lot of on-the-feet stuff. So when people saw uh, the UFC for the first time and you've got Hoist Gracie that is, you know, uh, not a big guy and he's literally beating people that are three times his size and it's like, how is he doing it? Because jiu-jitsu, they don't know, they don't know what they're doing. You take him to the ground all of their knowledge is dissipated and they can't adapt and he can you know that's his specialty is okay i'm gonna lock in an armbar i'm gonna lock in a choke so mm. to see bruce having that side of things and, and seeing it in the films i think people that went back to watch them again they're like oh mm. he was doing that back then and it's yeah. like yeah he his style was very adapted around yes. mixed martial arts yeah in in a sense yes and it, Jeet Kune Do, what it means is the way of the intercepting fist. Oh, you didn't want to tell me while I was struggling I and to, floundering around? I didn't want to interrupt you. <laughs> Wait till you floundered. You, yeah, were, you were on the right track with the water because Bruce did do... Right. There were a lot of quotes attributed to Bruce Lee with the you know, big water. Yeah. But, um, but the oh, intercepting fist. Yeah. Right. I knew um, it was something. <laughs> so back then, but we've also got to... It can flow like an intercepting fist. Can. <laughs> but you have to you have to place that you can know what Bruce was doing in, in the context of the time that it was done in, which yep. was he created it in the late sixties, which is a time when karate was very popular across mm -hmm. America. Mm -hmm. And karate, of course, and karate is a great art as well. Mm -hmm. But karate very much at that time there was a, that general um, strategy of uh, you know, you block the strike, you hit back, block strike. So Bruce's idea was well a more efficient um, approach might be to intercept mm -hmm. while they're trying to strike rather than waiting to block that strike. Mm -hmm. So if you're fast enough, you can intercept them. Mm -hmm. Then therefore your hit's going to hit them before their hit hits you. Yeah. Now, um, whether or not that's the ultimate expression of, of that, I don't know, but that was Bruce Lee's philosophy at that time. So the intercepting fist. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Intercept their attack. I remember mm. seeing an interview with him and he said, because you know, people would always say, oh, you're so fast, you're incredibly fast. And he said, I'm not fast, I'm deceptive. Mm. Goes, you think I'm going to move and then... And that's when I, you know, you, you're trying to count, you're trying to predict when my movement's happening. And mm. that's my advantage is you are watching for this and I can, yeah. I can 
fake and then go you know like and yeah. it's just that that those moments where he would you know do something quickly and you can't react fast enough <laughs> it's because he's you know he, he's understands like a magician doing a card trick they, yeah. they are deliberately misdirecting your attention mm. so that, that, that when you're looking here that's when he's doing something over here and it was like a lot of that in that style to sort of you know for um when people would talk to Bruce and he would have something that he could demonstrate quite quickly and be like, well, I'm going to do you know, the coin out of the hand or the, you know, just those things that wouldn't sort of hurt somebody, but it was impressive. And it was like, okay, you try to close your hand fast enough. You know, like, yeah. It's just so, uh. yeah, it was great. So we, yeah. And in terms of Jeet Kune Do, so that's what Bruce Lee was doing in the late sixties, early seventies, the way of the interceptive fist. He was very, very, you know, obviously very quick, very powerful. His, Everything was based around simplicity, mm-hmm. directness, um, being not non-classical. He used to call it. So it's not we're not following traditions just for the sake of it. We're mm-hmm. going. Does this work? Does this not work? Um, tested testing techniques, uh, pressure testing. So he was into that. You got to place that in the context though, because I find when we're talking about martial arts and self-defense and combat sports, people the waters get very muddied between the different aspects of those things. So. We've got to differentiate when you're talking um, this stuff as a whole, particularly when you start talking about self-defense, we've got to differentiate between, um, because there is a link between combat sports training, self-defense training, and martial arts. Mm-hmm. Those are three. It's like a triangle. And there is certainly connections there. Mm. Um, between There's the overlaps three. within Absolutely, those. yeah. Mm. I mean, if you only do self-defense, what you might call self-defense, whatever that may be, but you're not applying, say, the aliveness of training like, what you see in combat sports, then your your training may not be completely realistic. Mm-hmm. If you're only doing a martial art, yeah, you may get very good at that art, but you're not you're not pressure testing that. You're not placing it within the context of self defense because that's not necessarily taking into consideration the environment that you're in, the, the the time that we live in, what weapons you may or may not encounter, what type of attacks may happen, all of that, and the legalities of where you live. Yeah. That's another thing. Mm. All that has to be factored in. So what I like to talk about in terms of all this stuff is to differentiate between, to me, there's three different, when we're talking about combat, there's three different areas. And there are, there are various experts in these areas. Um, so you've got combat sports, mm-hmm. which you would put into the category of a duel. Mm. A duel would be a situation where two people have agreed to fight each other. Yeah. So that could be a UFC fight. Mm-hmm. It could be a boxing match. Both parties have consented. Match. Both parties of pistols, that, pistols at dawn. It, mm-hmm. it could be. Yep. It could be the car park. Let's go outside now and have a, have a go. That is a consensual agreement. Yeah. Whether it's in the ring or outside the ring, could be a street fight. But mm. if it's consent, that's a duel because you've got two people dueling. Yeah. Just like you know, yeah. metaphorically with swords. Then the other side of that is you've got what Jeff Thompson used to call the preemptive fight, the three second fight. He used to call it. That's where you've got. Confrontation where there's dialogue, there's some sort of a confrontation. There's a build-up. There's, there's a build-up. There's, there's warning um, red flags, mm-hmm. okay? And then someone's going to... And then a fight's going to blow up. Mm. So in that type of situation, whoever hits first is probably going to come off as best. Mm. So that's that that whole type of strategy around that three-second fight or the, the um, what do you call it, the preemptive fight that Jeff Thompson used to talk about... Um, Yes, that is, that is a real thing. That is an area that you have to look at. However, when you really place it into the context of today, you know, yes, those types of fights do occur, 
But when you think about it, what's the most dangerous type of fight that you could possibly be in? To fight for your life. Yeah, and what sort of fight would that be? It wouldn't be a duel. It wouldn't be a consensual, yeah. agreed thing. Yeah. It probably wouldn't be a three-second uh, preemptive fight because that's where there's an argument, there's a build-up. A lot of that can be avoided with negotiating mm. and de-escalating good uh, tactical communications. You can actually de-escalate a lot of that stuff. Yeah. So those fights don't even need to occur. Mm. The third one is the worst one, which is the ambush. Mm. Right. So that's where... You get ambushed. You get blindsided. Yeah. You know, you're going out to your car after work one night and there's two or three guys around the corner with Crowbar. I mean, that is the worst case scenario. Yeah, absolutely. You know, or, or even even an ambush could simply be you're talking to someone else and someone just comes in and blindsides you from the other side. Um, so the ambush really in the context of today, that that is where probably a lot of training in the past hasn't really focused on. Absolutely, yeah. What do you think it is that people, most people get involved in martial arts uh, to begin with or, or get into or wanting to develop some skills to be able to protect themselves? Is it because of bullying at school or being in that confrontation uh, and not knowing what to do or is it because they've, uh, they have been ambushed or a combination of these things? What, what, what do you think spurs people on? Could be that it could be the um, the social climate we live in now. We, we're constantly hearing on the news. Well, the news is always bad news, yeah. but we're constantly hearing about people being attacked, people being assaulted, people being carjacked, people, you know, home invasions. This it's just ongoing, and um, I think you know we're we're all pretty hip to the reality that um, our society is not one hundred percent safe, mm. and also hip to the fact that if you do get in trouble, it's unlikely that the police will be there when you need them. Mm-hmm. They, they may come later, but they won't be there in that right. moment when you need them. And no one's coming to help you. I mean, the reality is, how many people these days stand around and film, you know, if there is an incident, an assault, people stand around and just film it. Okay, that might come in handy later for the court case, but it's not going to help you in the heat of the moment. Or people freeze. Or they literally walk away and don't want to have anything to do with it. They don't want to get involved. They're worried about the legal ramifications. They don't want... People avoid conflict in general. Mm-hmm. So you got all this going on. And... Um, yeah, that, that, I'm sure that would spur people to seek out some self-defence training. Yeah. There are some people who do focus on that ambush area um, very well. There's a, um, an amazing um, martial art, self-defence fighting martial arts instructor in Brisbane, Dean Lawler, who um, I've met on many occasions, who um, is, is, has some fantastic drills that he's developed for specifically to acclimatisation training for an ambush-type scenario. Mm. So that's when you're... you're you're blindsided. You're not, you know, in your strongest position when the thing starts off. You're not expecting it. You don't know when it's going to happen. Mm. And you've got to improvise, adapt and overcome. Mm. And, and that's very different to the old mentality maybe in the 60s and 70s where you're talking about, oh, how do I fight a karate guy? Or how do I, mm. you know, this is, this is a very different thing because it's, mm. um, you're not going to, you know, even, even Jeet Kune Do, as much as I love it, the intercepting fists. Mm-hmm. Well, if someone's attacking you, not expecting it, mm. you're not going to be intercepting anything. Yeah. Mm. You're going to be covering up, trying to survive, work out what the hell's going on mm-hmm. and how you're going to get out of it. So do you think the ambush side of things is the most neglected of those three spheres of, uh, of expertise with yeah. yourself? self for most instructors. And I do find a lot of self-defence instructors still focus on that, that, that three-second, that preemptive one where you've got, you've got the dialogue, you've got some aggression coming. And that's all good. Mm. But, but as I said, a lot of those things can be de-escalated. You can walk away from a lot of those. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd say probably it is the most neglected. Hmm. 
And and is that uh, where so the people can find out a little bit more about that through Dean? Do you say Dean Lawler? He's up in Queensland. Yeah, yeah. he has uh, Lawler Tactical Training Centre, I believe. Um, yeah, if if you ever get a chance to do a seminar with him, do it because there's drills that he does that really hone in on that that I've never seen anyone else do. Hmm. What would yeah. be what would be your your main sort of counterpoint for that, or any tips for people that were looking at like, well, you know, I know how to box or I know how to do this, but then it's like in that situation, it is completely different. You have sort of an overarching, well, this is an idea as to what you're trying to achieve. Like, you know, I guess it depends on the situation, but. Yeah, I, I guess what you'd be trying to achieve there is to become, un, sorry, to become comfortable with that very massive sudden adrenaline dump that mm-hmm. comes with being shocked, surprised, ambushed. Uh, not just being comfortable with it, but being able to quickly breathe through it and actually take action. Because mm. as you all know, fight, flight or freeze, mm. you know, it's very easy to freeze in a situation, we all, and we all do freeze. Mm. So how do, how do you get out of that freeze moment and then be able to at least protect yourself, survive? Mm. You know? And that's another thing. That's a big difference between the duelling, that, that consensual fighting, mm-hmm. and self-defence. Well, one is consensual, one is not. Mm. Self-defense, there's no consent at all. You, you've got someone who's basically being assaulted. Mm. Yeah. They're not expecting it. Um, and, um, yeah, how do you deal with that? Like, how do, you, how do you... Because it is such a shock to the system that fight, flight or freeze does kick in. Kick in and freeze is a very common response mm. for all of us. And you, you help some of Australia's biggest companies and corporations deal with this uh, on the front lines in terms of customer service and, and those ambush scenarios that might come about from uh, whether that's terrorism or just a bad customer or, or a, a, a perhaps a, a client that's maybe under the influence of drugs or alcohol. And it, you, you were mentioning before that when presented with that situation, de-escalation is the way, or perhaps the, the first port of call. How are some of the ways that perhaps somebody can, you know, retreat from that scenario before it does get physical? Yeah, I like the way you said retreat because doing withdrawal, retreating, mm. is, is often done too late. Mm. So people leave that too late. They ignore all the red flags that are there and there is too much of this back and forth you know, there, there is a time to de-escalate and a time to negotiate, and then there is a time where you've got to go, no, you know what, I've got to retreat here. And it, there tends to be a tendency on behalf of some people to run into the face of danger as well. So they're presented with a, a violent person and they tend to want to confront that or in some way rather than retreat first and foremost. It's a strange, almost uh, uh, counterintuitive uh, behavior, but it, yes. you, you've mentioned that on occasions. Yeah, there's that, and there's also that magnetic draw to you've got conflict. Let's say you're working in a professional context and you've got a customer, they're becoming highly uh, angry, you know, and you want to help calm them down, you want to de escalate them. A lot of people tend to get very, very close to that person, <laughs> mm. they get drawn into their personal space. Um, and that's, yeah, something that just naturally seems to occur. So that having the awareness of God, because you're always closer than what you think you are, mm. nine times out of ten. Because when our adrenaline goes up, we get we get uh, tunnel vision. Yeah. When we get tunnel vision, we lose our depth perception. Mm. Now we're we're not quite sure of how close we are. We're often closer than we think. So mm. having the awareness to be able to take two or three step backs, breathe, think. Okay, is this safe? Okay, when is it time to retreat? Mm. Well, there's time, definitely times to retreat. Any time you may feel they're about to become violent, there's a lot of pre-warning cues around that. Any time where the abuse has become personally directed at you, mm. you know, it's, if it's if the if if you're in a professional context, you're in a role where you're dealing with the public, and someone's, um, you know, 
verbally abusing you personally, vile, you know, racial abuse, anything like that, or even just, you know, anything personally offensive to you or grossly offensive remarks to you, it's probably time to just disengage. Yeah. Because you're not going to be able to de-escalate that person. Yeah. They've targeted you now. They've decided they hate you for some reason. You're now the problem. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Mm. And and sometimes the best thing you do is remove yourself from the situation. So now, now in terms of self-defense, that becomes difficult because think Mm. about that in context of being out with your partner. Yeah. Think about that in terms of context, being out with your wife, with your, with your kids, you know, and then the ego can kick in and yeah. people can go, oh, hang on, why the hell should I have to leave? Yeah. This guy needs to leave, you know, and then things can escalate. So it's a very complex yeah, set of absolutely. issues. Yeah, I've uh, did security for 13 years, so it was a lot of... All about it, yeah. That's why I snickered when you said people getting too close. I've seen oh, it yeah. so many times. Oh, somebody's, somebody's obviously about to punch someone. <laughs> you're walked up straight next to them and, and for some reason new, new people seem to do this thing where they, I don't know, they'll put their hands behind their back oh, yeah. while they're talking to someone. Okay, so you're trying to, you know, trying to talk. It's like, mate, <laughs> I don't know. It's just all those little things while you were saying that. I'm just remembering all the moments of... Uh, so we where would things have, have gone wrong. Well, yeah, <laughs> but no, some of the things that we were trying to implement, um, you know, where we had a really good team that would work together and it'd be like, say I was dealing with somebody and it was obviously not going like the way I needed to go and they might be targeting me now, but they're yelling at me and they're calling me this and that. And it's like, okay, at that point, I can't de-escalate it, you know, um, and my team member who's on with me might then step in and then I can step back or step away completely but still be present. But now he is dealing with somebody else and it's like, okay, and then they get an opportunity to try, oh, come over here, mate. No, just talk, don't worry about him. Come talk to me, you know, and it's like you're trying to get, you're trying these little tactics and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't and, you know, but at least you've got that framework of these are th- some of the things that might work and they and they and you have those options as opposed to you're now in a fight <laughs> and you haven't got any other option it's like it's a fight every time it's like <laughs> no if you can do these other things uh, you know i mean and sometimes you'll deal with the same person and they'll react completely differently yeah. yep. uh, even on the same day the same night sometimes you talk to them they're fine they'll do what you ask them to do they'll leave 20 minutes later, they come back. They want to kill you. Like, Hang on a minute. You were fine a minute ago. Like, what's going on? Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. It's that's a- right. And, and in those situations and in your, your self-defense situations when you're out at the, at the movie theater, you're out for a, you know, a good night out, the duel, the, the, the consensual fighting, is probably the most least likely thing to possibly happen. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. To all of us. I mean, mm. unless you're a combat sports athlete. Yeah. You know, fighting in the ring. Yeah. Cage uh, or the, the octagon. Yeah. It's, it's for us normal people. It's it's the least likely thing that's going to happen, mm. even in a security role. It's yeah, less yeah. Likely. We do always say to people that we're arguing with each each other. I'm like, just go across the road. Go. There's a park down the street. Go down there and fight each other. Because yeah. then it's not my problem. But reality is like they're, they're not going to go there because then they're going to lose face in front of everyone else. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. if you can get one party to leave, then it's all it's all good. Yeah, but he's yeah. like, go. No, there's a boxing <laughs> club, guys. Just go down there. There's, <laughs> yeah. there's a corner yeah. in there. Oh, you do whatever you want over there. I don't care. You know. But, <laughs> I think what I don't like is all the old cliches about self-defense, which is like, you know, best defense is running. Right. You know, is it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What if you're with your grandma? What if you're yeah. with a baby in a pram? You know, I mean, what if they can run faster than you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, what if these, there isn't anywhere to run? What if, you what if there's nowhere to run? Um, what if you've had knee surgery? Yeah. You know, so there's so many what ifs. It's, there's no real black and white simple answers mm-hmm. to those things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that was one of the issues that, you know, uh, we were talking about Bruce Lee before with, you know, he would look at a traditional martial art like you know karate or something, and and 
it's very step by step. It's like when they do this, you do this, and it's like that's the answer, and it's like it doesn't. That's not always how it's going to be. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? It's like that might happen, and then you know you were too slow, or they did that, or they threw it in a different way to what the way you've been practicing. So it needed to be flowy and fundamental of um, of different different aspects all the time, where you've got you know the, every situation covered in terms of this might happen, and so you know. Yeah, if you've got, and you could, do you remember those old magazines? And there'd be like a step by step photo, you yeah, know? That's <laughs> be right. like two guys in a gi, yeah, and you're yeah. like, one wheel like this, and then the next one is like that. <laughs> yeah. but, it, but even then, even even with Bruce, Bruce Lee's stuff, and this right. is as much as I love it, there was a, there was seemed to be back in the day a, a sort of a naive assumption that because my punch is getting there first, mm-hmm. that means I won the fight. Right. But yeah. I think, as we all know, in reality, it doesn't always pan out like that. <laughs> reality is not quite quite as um, nice and black and white as that. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, you, you would have seen it yourself. You've seen people <laughs> get absolutely hammered and just smile at the other person. Yeah. It, it seems yeah. interesting that a lot of people get into mixed martial arts or martial arts full stop because uh, perhaps they've been bullied or they've experienced uh, they've been in some kind of circumstance where they felt they've been the victim and they want to empower themselves with some kind of skill set to protect themselves from that in the future. Um, and then when they watch the movies and the Bruce Lee movies, the action films, it, it is almost always the duel or it's the ambush, but it's the ambush in the guise of a duel. So the, oh, yeah, there'll be the yeah. ambush and everybody knows what's yeah, about yeah. to happen. And One the star's got Yeah, and the star's got his back into the corner <laughs> and, you know, there's 12 of them and, you know, it's one at a time, as you were saying. And it's not uh, – and so that's how the, the, the ambush is presented in the movie. So, it, you know, making it uh, perhaps uh, – uh, making the, the viewer perhaps feel that as long as you've got that fighting skill set, it doesn't matter how many people, and it doesn't even matter if you're the smallest guy, but if you've got the skills, you, you can handle it. And mm. that's, I guess, predicated on uh, each fighter being kind enough to just take it one at a time, perhaps, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, and be willing to leave you alone. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe uh, halfway through we'll give you a chance to rest. But um, uh, it, it's certainly um, uh, not the case in, in real life, is it? No, and that's probably part of the problem. We've all been so conditioned with movies. You know, everyone's seen movies for 20, 30, 40 years mm. that y- you start thinking that's what a fight looks like. Even if you're watching the UFC, you start thinking, but that's not really, and it's not in the context of a self-defence situation where you, you're not consenting to something happening. Mm. And then you've also got to acknowledge the fact that, you know, when people do fight, people get injured, people get hurt, people sometimes get killed. Well, everybody likes the idea of being the hero in the movie, but no one likes to be the third henchman down that just had his neck broken, do they, yeah, by the yeah. hero? No, no one wants to be that guy in the fight, but, you know, almost inevitably somebody has to be. Um, so, yeah. So there's no, you know, ultimately there's no winners because you're going to get injured, you're going to get hurt, someone's going to get hurt, yep. someone might be going to hospital, mm. someone might be going to jail. Yeah. Mm. Could be you or that is not good all round, so... And then there's often, you know, the, the legal ramifications that might come of that as well. You know, there's a, uh, you, you, you might just well be defending yourself, but if you do win in that situation, mm. sometimes sore losers can lead to, uh, to erroneous charges as yeah, well. You've got to explain your actions. You have to mm. explain that your actions were necessary and reasonable. It's, a, mm. it's, a, it's the way that they've set up these, these laws as well makes people so hesitant to protect themselves. And or it's to like, protect others even yeah, in that's some right. circumstances. Exactly. So you have the law of self-defence, uh, which applies to everyone. You are allowed to defend yourself and you can use reasonable force depending on what they're trying to do. If you're on a fight for your life, you do anything at all to save your life. Mm. Um, but people are hesitant 
to do anything because they they've seen on the news or they've seen this this guy got charged for that and and then you know in in the industry that I was working with security you know something would happen somebody would do something stupid and then they would change a law oh now you can't restrain somebody on their um, face down and then it's like that's really hard to not do that <laughs> you know and then it's like you can't um grab them above the shoulder it's like but they're trying to kill me with a knife like you know what I mean? like, they made all these things so that it made it harder for people to when when you're confronted in that situation like you know oh, you've you've attended somebody's called for help you've gone there you don't know what's going on and now this guy's attacking you and it's like in your mind you're going um do I have all the bases covered before? And mm. you've been punched three times before you've actually realised what you, what's going on. Mm. Um, so I think that, yeah, that understanding or having that, that ambush plan, you know, it's like it could be more reactive as to I know what I'm allowed to do. And it, if it's always framed in the concept of self-defence, mm. then it should always be justifiable. Yeah, I think pe- people are hesitant to do anything because they're not aware specifically of what their rights in self-defense. Right. And yeah. you mentioned it, you know, reasonable force, reasonable and proportionate to the perceived threat. Yep. And the use of force must stop when the threat stops. Exactly. Mm. So, yeah, and as you said, you, you can have so many things to worry about in the heat of the moment that you could get a mental logjam and just basically get yeah. paralysis. Yeah. And then, yeah, so it's it's tricky. It's tricky. It's a lot of uh, split decision judgment that needs to be come to the fore in those moments that only years of preparation can probably um, uh, put you in good stead for. And avoiding as much issues as as much physical issues as possible. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it is. It's such Avoidance is just oh, yeah, absolutely. Key. Yeah, for mm. sure. But that's the thing is when you hear these stories of how people got sued or they did the wrong thing after the fact, and it was like in that moment they're not thinking clear like they they're reacting or they're just doing whatever they need to do but mm. it's like you know if you if you're going to break down a 10 second moment and then like analyze it to death and mm. oh, that was the moment you should have done and it's like do you realize it was 10 seconds of just action i don't know what was going on and this i remember one of the stories that sort of like stuck out to me was uh, a lady was doing the cash in transit stuff um and she was in plain clothes and she used to have to take money from this um business and then walk it to her car and that was what you know whatever the, the pickup was um and somebody came and uh to rob her and smashed her in the head she fell to the ground they grabbed the bag she was armed and as they're running off she shot the dude and uh he died and then she was found in the wrong because huh. the threat had technically dissipated in terms mm. of the reasonable force to use yeah. in that in that moment was you know, that you you know the threat was running away, and you killed the threat. You know, mm. after the fact, Which was no longer a threat. Exactly. Mm. She did appeal, thankfully, and got off on the fact that she was disorientated from being punched in the head, yeah. and falling to the ground, and not thinking clearly, and not knowing mm. what was going on, and then seeing somebody that had just punched her running off, and you know, taking action. But mm. she still would have gone through years of you know, oh, then just the stress and, and yeah. not, you know the whole thing uh, at work. She, I'm sure she would have found it difficult to work in the meantime, yeah. and. Financially, the impost of having to uh, to fight for your light rights in in a court of law it's uh, yeah. it's a huge um, mm. impingement on somebody's uh, and, and not only that but all the mental space that that takes up for years and God knows what kind of um, uh, post traumatic stress that woman would have experienced not just as a result of being punched in the head but you know the trauma of having to have had reacted and yep. then for that um, to have yeah. um, uh, caused uh, death is mm. uh, there's a tremendous amount going on. Mm. 
and uh, and but there was only one person that caused that to happen. Yeah, that's right. The guy, mm. the, the, the the attacker. Mm. Yeah, um, it's disgusting when you hear about these these incidents that are just occurring more and more, aren't they? Mm. People just randomly getting attacked, innocent people going about their daily business. Often they're elderly or injured. You know, easy targets, mm. unfortunately. And yeah, just. And, emboldened. and and there's not much you can do to prepare an elderly person who's not uh, per, perhaps f- physically well and and strong enough or capable enough to uh, to train in in any type of martial arts. And and so what what would you suggest to somebody who might just be, fit that victim profile? What what are the, some of the tactics that they can use if they find themselves in that scenario? Unfortunately, mm. it's a very tough one. Uh, and I I hate using the word victim. I I prefer to use the term target. If you're target. targeted by yeah. someone, because we don't want I don't want to be falling into any victim mindsets, but I think you know. I think it's up to the rest of us. We've really got to protect our elderly and our vulnerable yeah. children. You know, elderly, vulnerable. We, we've got. So, to if you're capable and uh, you've got dominion over these people, that's something that you should. That's a responsibility that people should take seriously. Yeah, in terms of society itself, and mm. you know, obviously we can't. I don't know. We can have some influence on the legalities around things and stuff, but but in terms of you know, we should be we should be protecting our elderly, our children, vulnerable people. And um, and and this is the scary thing a little bit. It is the 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 way that people have become so risk averse, as you were saying. You know, you've got all these concerns now about legalities and what can I can't I do and this and that. But you've also got to add on top of that a whole generation of people who have literally been taught to avoid conflict. Yeah. Mm. So I said I said before how important it is to avoid, and and yes, it is, but not to the point where, for example, I used to in the self defence teaching used to show some CCTV videos of footage of you'd see a couple walking down a street um and you know there's a a guy and a girl and you'll have a gang of guys coming up in front of them group of guys and they literally walk past start bashing grabbing the um handbag off the female start bashing her the partner the boyfriend or husband instead of actually intervening trying to defend his partner literally runs off to get help wow Banging on doors, help, 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 call the police. Mm. While his partner's back there getting bashed. Mm. Where does that come from? Does that come from a whole generation of schoolboys being taught to tell the teacher if you're being bullied? I think it might. Tell the authorities, run off and tell someone. Don't Don't, don't don't do that, tell the teacher. Don't (laughs) tell the teacher. Don't confront it, whatever you Mm. do. Mm. So so you've got to wonder there too. And it it is a shame because there, there are times when people may need help hope that there's able-bodied people there to help them just like with first aid you know the more people train in first aid the better if there's a medical emergency you would hope that there'd be a trained first aider who'd be willing to help and you mm. know who who wouldn't avoid and walk off and leave someone in a bad situation yeah yeah that's it yeah it is it is difficult to see those moments happen and when you're looking at it from an outsider's perspective and going man this should have happened this way or could you have changed it and you know to sort of see that, that, that people are, are choosing that route now as opposed to, you know, maybe uh, other options that would, would have been more effective or more available to them. Um, yeah, it's, it's difficult to see. It all starts with awareness too, doesn't it, of being aware that, you know, maybe we're not walking through the best neighbourhood. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we should cross the road if we see a, you know, a whole group of guys. Maybe we should... You know, just keep our eyes open a little bit more and not be on the phones as we're walking, stuff well, like that. Well, it seems that almost simultaneously we've got the message to uh, 
you know, to tell the teacher and to ask for help and to go to uh, rather than intervene. Um, we're getting people that perhaps could be vulnerable being told, sure, you, it's your right to walk mm-hmm. around through the park at night time yeah. by yourself. You and should be able you should to be do that. Able to, and, and you should be able to do that. Would it be wise for you to do that? And, and are you being aware whilst you do that of your own um, susceptibilities and perhaps who else might be in that park at that time of night? Are they good people that spend time in parks in the middle of the night, for instance? <laughs> these are the, the, these, the messaging that we get from our authorities is uh, so conflicting for many that um, they ultimately make very bad decisions. And uh, where we, we have circumstances where, yes, women should be, young women should be allowed to walk through anywhere they like. Is that a good idea for them to do so, though? Maybe not, maybe not. But is it a good idea for a man to be walking around by himself through those parks at night either? No, it's not a sexist thing. Mm. It's, a, it's, not a, it's not an ageist thing. It's a, there's a, whatever you do in life is going to have some element of risk associated with it and, and it should be up to the individual to ascertain what that risk is mm. um, without being imbued by the messaging that perhaps is somewhat um, delusional. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it's not healthy for people to be told that things that are dangerous shouldn't be dangerous, so they're not dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just because they shouldn't be dangerous doesn't mean that they're not dangerous. Yeah. And we're, we're all vulnerable at the end of the day. 100%. And, and we have to be aware of the risks and the dangers that are out there. Mm. We're all vulnerable, doesn't matter who you are. Yeah. That's right, yeah. You know, I guess what you were saying with you know the elderly people and that sort of thing, it's like, well, these, you know, you're not might not be able to physically sort of beat off a defender or, you know, that sort of thing or be able to run away from the situation. But here's some of the things that you can do, you know, the security doors, the not going out to dangerous places or, you know, locking your doors. Duress alarms. Yeah, that's right. Mm. And all those things, you know, having somebody on speed dial if you need, you know, just all those little things. If you put those things in place, well, they can be your saving grace as opposed to having the physical strength or ability to be able to defend yourself. Mm. That's right. A lot of it comes down to awareness and all those other strategies in place. Mm. But, um, did you ever see Harry Harry Brown, Michael Caine? Yes, Kane? great. God, that was a Fantastic. Good film. Loved it. Have you seen that? That was no. a great oh, film. Oh, man. Great movie. He was a um, pensioner in, uh, retired pensioner in uh, some England somewhere. England, housing flats, low, in, low socioeconomic area, and uh, a lot of gangs around, drug deals and stuff. And he sort of takes it upon himself to take care of the situation it's yeah. a very cool film it's really cool it was michael kane michael kane um, <laughs> and he you know across the road from where he lived there was a, a group of um thugs basically hanging out in the underpass and then one of his mates elderly guy goes over to confront them <laughs> really not a good idea and gets mm. the shit kicked out of him basically um and then uh because of that Michael Michael Caine uh, decides to take it upon himself to uh, teach them a lesson, <laughs> and he does it in a, a very very cool way. Yes, but, uh, being a former military, yeah, guy. yeah. But you see the the scene. Well, I don't want to ruin this movie, but there's there's a very it's nice. It's been out a few years now. It's in a long, <laughs> yeah. it's a long way. Um, but there was a scene where he went to buy the gun. He needed to buy a gun. He didn't have a gun, you know. Uh, but he wanted to buy one, but the only people he knew he could get one from was the local drug dealers, like, <laughs> you know, the real scum. And there's an amazing scene with a really talented actor who ended up being one of the, I think he got cast as a James Bond villain from this performance. Uh, 
in this scene with Michael Caine where he's um, you know pretending to be completely stoned off his face with all these different drugs um, and he's smoking uh, something through through the barrel of a gun <laughs> through the barrel of a handgun and uh, you know Michael obviously despises this guy despises this whole world but he needs a gun like he wants to buy the gun <laughs> anyway so uh, they have a, a confrontation and then this drug dealer dude tries to shoot him with his gun but it doesn't work because he's been he's been smoking stuff through it <laughs> and then you know there was other guns laying around and michael ends up using because you didn't take a take care of your weapon son or whatever it was <laughs> your weapon. yeah yeah yeah, yeah, was yeah. yeah but it was movie. it was just such a yeah it was a, it was a good film because it highlighted how vulnerable pensioners the elderly actually are in our society and how isolated they can be and the dangers that are out there really mm. Yeah, for sure. Especially, you know, elderly males that might have throughout their life had that physicality and they relied, well, they were able to take care of those situations up to a certain point. And then it's like, you know, you're living alone or, you know, your family lives somewhere else and it's like you are, you know, maybe, you know, 80 years old or whatever and the physicality is not there anymore. But, you know, the knowledge as to the skills that you've got are still there. So, you know, trying to use those skills and put yourself in different scenarios where you can protect yourself in other ways is um, the ideas behind that. So is our message to elderly people to get a gun from a drug dealer? <laughs> 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 well, here on the Daily Combat podcast, we, we often are talking to athletes and, and actors and, and strength athletes and people that are, um, are around the, the combat sports scene. And, um, and in you, Daniel, we have somebody who can really practically speak to the daily combat, you know, but being able to, uh, what what can you do to practically keep out of uh, bad situations, and and how can you help those around you do the same? Mm. So yeah, uh, again, awareness. What, what, you know, you're traveling. Be aware of, you know, the type of place you're traveling to. Be aware of the legalities of that place. What are your What are your rights to self defense when you're in Thailand? Yeah, that's a good point. Or when you're in Hong Kong, or when you're in LA. You know, um, what type of weapons might people be carrying, mm. potentially? Mm. Um, generally, especially when you're overseas, you want to avoid conflict at all costs. You know, you want to walk away from most things because if you don't, you don't know who's going to be creeping up behind you. Yeah, that's right. You don't know who knows who. You're in a marketplace, you're having an argument with one person, they might know six people who are suddenly surrounding you and about to stick very sharp little objects into your lower back. Yeah, mm. yeah. So you got to, yeah, um, you, you really got to drop the ego. Mm. Have you heard mm. of the mutual combatant law in the US? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Is it mutual combatant or mortal? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I think mutual it was a mutual combatant, which is um, you can agree to fight somebody. And like, if the other person dies, it's... Yeah, yeah, it was like, oh, well... I think they, there has to be a police officer present witnessing. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah authority. I, there has to be some sort of authority they're witnessing. Okay. That you can actually challenge someone to mortal combat, basically. <laughs> well, that, that's the, that's an old duelling law. It is, yeah. Uh, so what, uh, one of our uh, old Premier, Premier Kingston uh, oh. here in South Australia challenged... Uh, uh, somebody to a duel uh, here at Victoria Square many moons ago, and right. uh, yeah, got arrested as a result of it. Um, but uh, but made the challenge turned up. The other guy didn't turn up, but called the police, and uh, it was all shut down. But he had his pistol out, everything ready to go. But under the dueling laws, like if you challenge somebody to a duel and you killed them or they killed you, that was all okay. That wow. was all yeah. yeah. So maybe it's an, a, yeah. a natural common law extension of the uh, of that uh, old dueling yeah. uh, agreement. The only reason I found out about that was there was a guy getting around uh, for a while dressing up as a superhero, um, Phoenix something or another, and he ended up, he, he was like an MMA fighter, like a professional fighter. <laughs> um, 
But Phoenix Jones, I think it was, and he would go around and hang around like sort of the nightclubs outside and try to help people. He was trying to act like a superhero, <laughs> you know, in a way, which was kind of cool because, you know, he was trying to help people, yep. which is nice. But he had, you know, the full outfit, <laughs> the mask and everything. Um, it probably was expensive, whatever his outfit was. It was quite well done. <laughs> uh, but he ended up getting in a fight with somebody, you know, he was trying to protect somebody else or whatever. And then, and then he said, okay, under the mutual combatant law, um, do you agree to have a fight? And the guy's like, yep. And then they fought and <laughs> Phoenix Jones kicked the shit out of the dude <laughs> because he was a pro fighter. <laughs> and, so he was doing the leg kicks? Yes. I, yeah, I saw yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, I don't think he got any legal ramifications from it, but I think because of that case, like, because no one really knew who he was or whatever, you know, the mask and, you know, whatever. But because of that, everyone <laughs> found out who he was because, <laughs> you know, legally, this is the arrest report. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it's kind of cool, a little story. But, yeah, that's why I found out that mutual combatant was like, oh, that's kind of cool. That's interesting. So, yeah, you can go up and go, you agree to a fight? Yep, all right, let's do it. <laughs> you know, and you got no, well, I guess, as you said, this has to be a referee. Yeah. It's a, a, a police officer. Yeah, witness. <laughs> Witnesses, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 that's kind of cool, though. Very interesting, mm, very interesting indeed. Well, I've got a bowel, guys, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna head off. Right. Good, mm. good, yeah. Drink easy, all right. right. H2O, H2O, <laughs> right. yeah. So, Daniel White, uh, White Tiger, is it no, White, White Dragon, White Dragon, White Dragon, Dragon films, films. Yep. yeah, absolutely. And and that's where you're finding your circle, circular propeller teachings. You'll find some footage there, some stuff I've put up, and I'm going to be putting a lot more in the future up there, so. right. Excellent. I'll be checking it out. Fantastic. Thanks, Matt. All right. Thanks, thanks Dave. Man. No That's worries great. at all. Great to ah, chat. Yeah. Thank you very much, Daniel White. You've been listening to the Daily Combat Podcast. Special thanks also go out to our main sponsor, Real Estate Agents Group. This company is growing to become one of South Australia's largest independent real estate groups. With a board of directors with over 100 years of collective real estate industry experience, Real is for real people by real people. Check them out on Facebook under Real Estate Agents Group or visit their website urbanandruralsales.com.au. The Daily Combat Podcast is proudly brought to you by Dave Stockbridge, Isabella Rossitano and Hollywood Matt Connolly. Make sure to give us a five-star review as this helps us to continue to promote combat sports in Australia and around the world. You can find out more information about the podcast at dailycombatnews.com. You can also follow us on all social media platforms with full video episodes available on YouTube. Just search The Daily Combat Podcast. Thank you again for listening from all of us here at The Daily Combat Podcast team.